0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Dan Majcek, I help companies connect with the best tech talent and I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Per, Mark and Justina to discuss how to use data and insights to deliver business value. Before we delve deeper into the topic we'll work our way around the room with some introductions. So
1: Per do you want to kick us off? Sure. Thank you Daniel. So my name is Per, uh, Per Silander, live in, in Sweden in Helsingborg. Uh, maybe I have a little bit different background than the rest of you guys. Uh, not really a data analyst from the beginning, but more of a of a wine guy and a sommelier and wine expert. So um, what I'm doing right now is, is managing the database for a wine app and a business system called Wine Alley. So uh, I have a little bit different way of looking at data and it's going to be really interesting to see what you guys have to say about the same. Um, so today I'm managing a database of 700,000 wines and uh, ensuring that all the information is correct about the wines. So uh, my passion, no need to say, is wine. <laughs> uh, my background is, of course, I worked a bit in IT for Ericsson and Telia in Sweden before I switched to the hospitality and wine industry some 15 years back, so that's a little bit about
2: me.
0: That's great, cheers, and then next we'll move on to you Mark.
2: Uh, Thank you Daniel, so hi my name is Mark Gallat and I also live in Sweden in Stockholm and currently I'm the uh, product owner for the Data Lake uh, at Canby, which is one of the world's leading sports book uh, platform providers. And talking about different backgrounds, uh, actually, I'm also one of those UPs who originally studied something completely different. I'm a chemist. But then uh, towards the end of my 20s, I sort of uh, realized that, yeah, either my calling is not that strong or at least not as much in demand as I previously thought. So I switched over to IT and, Yeah, since uh, data has always been a central part of whatever I did, uh, it's also very important in research and the lab, uh, I sort of came to this direction and uh, I have been amazed from the beginning by just how much data companies collect and what they can do with it. And not just amazed, a bit scared as well, (laughs) I might add. Uh, But uh, that's my passion and about. and beyond that, also like fantasy and writing novels and stuff like that. But that's not so important here if we don't count perhaps storytelling. Thank you.
0: Amazing. And then last but not least, we'll come to you, Justina.
3: Hello, I'm Justina Sabiana. I'm from Lithuania. Um, and here I'm leading data science team at telia Lithuania. It's telecom- one uh, one out of three largest telecommunication companies in Lithuania. Uh, I'm leading data science team and my passion. I was very kind of for some time thinking, what should I share here? So I'm I'm coming from the boring side, so I studied uh, math, I studied statistics, I've been in the field now 10 years, maybe even more. So kind of I'm all, all the time in numbers, at home, at work and so on. Um, and I was thinking strongly what is my passion. So I would say that my passion is learning. So learning and exploring new things. When you think about traveling, I like to go to the new places. When I think about work, I also like to kind of explore new things. So data science, statistics, I I would say that it's quite a, quite nicely fits into this because the field is continuously evolving and what you thought that, you know, a lot of things. The other day you wake up and see that there's a lot of bunch of new things to learn. Now, even though I'm a bit older, so now it's a bit more conservative. I try a bit things to learn to do what I know already, and then the other part was kind of I try new thing. Um, so that's me. Uh, so I'm into, in, in, into figures, into numbers and, and really like kind of exploring and, and checking, uh, checking out new, new things. Fantastic.
0: Cheers, guys. So now that we've established a bit of context to each of you, we'll move on to the topic and focus. So you all have a question or statement on how to use data and insight to deliver business value. And as usual, I'll work my way around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. So each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. And today we'll kick off with Pear's question.
1: Thank you, Donald. Um, well, my question, as I said, might be a little bit different because I have a, a little bit different tasks maybe when it comes to data. But my question is, how do you ensure your data is correct and presented in appealing matter? Because when you work with wines, there's a lot of data to be standardized, which maybe are used in different ways by different people and not so standardized and also sometimes the correct facts are not always so appealing when you present it to a customer so my challenge is very often to collect the facts standardize it but then also find a way to present it in an appealing way but still factual Mm.
2: well i would say that data quality or data quality assurance and data presentation are two quite different areas uh, at least uh, in our industry uh, and I haven't worked so much with BI reporting, so I think I will leave that part to Justina. Uh But as for data quality, uh, I think it depends a lot on the data maturity of your organization. So first of all, in order to be even, even able to talk about data quality, we have to have three things in place. One thing is that you have an idea about what kind of data you have in your BI platform or wherever. Uh, then you have to know who produces that data, so where it comes from. And then uh, you also have to know what they have for data, if you can even trust that. And once you have the source data and your own data, then you can at least uh, compare them. You have a benchmark, of course, so you can compare them and see if it's the same. Then we still haven't talked about whether uh, the source data is good or not, because part of my French, but crap in crap out. That's a well known uh, thing in the industry. So if you don't have good source data to begin with, then you won't have good output either, but at least you can compare it. So that's the first step. Uh, the second step is uh, to be able to. Uh, QA the data from the source so that you know that whatever you uh, ingest in your system and whatever you uh, process further and then uh, present to your consumers whether they be internal or external consumers uh, it's correct and then of course uh, you can talk about the data governance and uh, data mesh and so on Uh, but i think i'll leave the floor to justina a bit and then we can perhaps come back to that part
3: Yes, it's quite good remarks, Mark, um, on the data collection, how you kind of organize it and so on. Um, the way I like to think about this is to start the w- where, why do you need this data what type of problem you are trying to solve what type of questions you are trying to figure out and it might be from the business perspective you are trying to to help uh, your colleagues let's say to understand maybe which ones are the most popular where the uh, revenue opportunities lies or maybe something is not going in the business the way you kind of expect to again revenue goes down up so the first question is understand why and where, why you need them, what, what kind of problems or questions you're trying to answer, uh, the, the, date, the data, the dashboards, let's say, who will be, so that's the first one, it might be internal or external. And then the question is, who will be using your dashboard or the, the charts which you produce to answer those questions? Will it be an analyst who is expected to go deeper, kind of dive in to have a look, what are the trends and so on, and then make recommendations? Or is that more senior person who is expected to have a quick look, like five five seconds and already know the answer? So then you would form probably your dashboard in a bit different way. So it's kind of separating who will be using the dashboard. Is it the analyst more? Is it more like a senior person thinking about or who makes to, to make very quick uh, decisions? And once you know these two separations, then you can think more about what are the colors should be used, how to organize, how the chart should be, and all, all, all those other things. Uh, and then the other ah data validation. That's the other very important thing. Um, so the way again I'm, I'm more coming from the economical maybe perspective. From that sense, I would say I have a lot of kind of back, not background experience in this field. And the way we do we usually check data quality, we try to find the second source of the data. So it might be, uh, I don't know, in the wind company might be the other view from the same source, but other dashboard, maybe someone done the analysis before and know something about it. Or maybe some find the colleague or expert in, in the field who are, has some kind of of beliefs around it already and then you can cross reference. And sometimes those beliefs are matches and kind of it's the same. Yay, that means the data shows the same what we've been thinking. That's good. Or maybe the, the both uh, data sources or both places shows exactly the same thing. So that's very good. So that confirms that you are doing the right thing and kind of the data is correct. But what happens usually if you do that double or triple check, you see that they are starting to differ. So the numbers may be 90% the same, 80% the same, 50% the same, and then you start going deeper. Why like why you think that? Or why you have certain beliefs Some Why maybe the other data source is showing a bit differently? And that's actually it's quite interesting because that helps to uncover a lot of either different views how data is understood, or maybe even myth b- busting, because sometimes we have certain beliefs which are not entirely correct about the data. So that also it's quite useful. So I, I do like. Um, that very light touch from from this perspective.
2: Uh, Yeah, thank you, And I think uh, you had some really good thoughts there. uh, When it comes to, you you always have to ask the question, who will use the data? And it's not only important from a dashboard perspective, it's also important from a data platform perspective, which is sort of my area, so I can come from there. Uh, Because if it's uh, business users, then you will probably need uh, some well-organized data, like a data warehouse or something similar. Uh, that is easier to query, easier to build dashboards and reports against. Whereas if you want more of a deep dive and you have capable data scientists or uh, AI developers or machine learning developers who can really use a lot of data, it doesn't have to be organized because they know what they're doing really well uh, and they have the time and the capacity to dive into the data. uh, Then you can probably use more of a data lake where you just uh, ingest the raw data from different parts of the business and then let the data scientists figure it out. Uh, But of course, it also depends a lot on uh, the size of your organization. So if it's a small organization, then you might not have a fully-fledged data platform. Uh, Then uh, it might be an easier approach to take some data directly from the producing systems or persons, if it's some sort of survey or interviews or whatever. Uh, whereas if you work at a bigger organization, then you will probably have a well-established data pipeline and data platform architecture, uh, which gives both more wiggle room and in some cases less, because you have to adapt to given structures and processes and whatnot.
3: Ah, one more thing I forgot, I forgot forgot what Mark was talking here, about the frequency. That's very uh, also important thing from the reporting perspective or the kind of um, when you start visualizing that, but it gets on, because it depends about the frequency of decisions. So if decisions needs to be done on the annual basis, let's say, so that you probably worry less about surfacing that on the dashboard or creating some kind of repeatable process. But if decisions needs to be done on the quarterly basis, monthly basis, where you want to track something very quickly, so then you also want to tailor your dashboard or reports, wherever you create and choose the tool, so that it would match that frequency and, the, and enable you to, you or the company in general, to make the decisions at the right, um, Time, let's say that it would be timely, basically, and would help actually decision making decision makers today to make decisions at the right point in time, given that they have data processed very quickly. So the, the very good example is. Um, uh, Retail stores. So, for now, for example, to know the stock level of fresh produce is very important because they, if if they go bad, basically they need to some things needs to be sold very quickly because otherwise they go bad. So they really need to need to know sales figures almost hourly, let's say, because if they would know day or two days afterwards, the the bread, for example, it will, it goes bad and it's not worth it. Uh, on the other hand, there might be some slower moving goods where it's less important to know stock on the hourly basis and it's completely fine to have then maybe some reports refreshing on on daily basis or even weekly basis because the things doesn't move so quickly and decisions are not made uh, at the frequent uh, very frequently and that of course links to the platforms and all the other things
2: yeah uh, I agree and just I just want to add another example from the gambling industry so in our case for instance if uh, business decision makers want to know how many bets have been placed on Los Angeles Lakers throughout the whole season. It's, not that, it's not, imp, not, not that important that the data comes fast. It can wait a couple of hours or even days, it doesn't matter. But when it comes to risk, uh, then people will really want to see here and now what the player is doing, if they're playing arbitrage or, or any kind of other risky bets, or perhaps they are trying to cheat the system in some other way. It really has to be real time, otherwise uh, we might miss some critical opportunity window to catch that player and prevent losses.
1: Thank you, guys. That's some interesting insights. And I mean, you guys have a a more organized way of working and and the more technical, deeper knowledge than I have of of data, I think. Um, I might run into simpler issues as I I might have correct data, say, I want to present the wine and i have the fact that it's six and a half grams sugar for example and let's say for the customer i want to present the wine in a favorable way not saying it's a sweet wine for example which might put off some people you might use things instead of saying the wine is fruity or or so to say but it's all about for me to to take all this kind of boring and correct data and try to present it in a more appealing way for the end users or for the end customers. Then we can, of course, get more insights from the data after we see which restaurants are using it, which merchants are using it, what kind of wines do they like and so on. But a lot of the problems that I run into is how to present complicated and accurate data to someone who is you know, not inaugurated to the whole data world and just wants a simpler, maybe flavor description or things like that. So that's more emotional and humane side of my work, so to speak.
3: Yeah, actually, I would say that it's very useful to, I'm not sure how, like, how you do and do you have the opportunity, but it's very useful to have focus groups or I'm not. sure you take, I don't know, 10, five wine lovers and kind of, I assume that you have that data, which you have very detailed and accurate one and share them and talk to, they talk about what what data you have and ask them to describe it. So basically just on the, based on the focus, I think they do, they, uh, they call it focus group and when, when, uh, when they ask pro, pro, professionals, experts in the field, well, not necessarily data people, but basically the either of food or wine or so on, to describe something and kind of have a chat with them so that it then gives a different angle for the same, uh, from the same data source, but from more uh, human, not human, um, i not sure how to say it.
1: Humane, maybe?
3: Yeah, maybe more humane and kind of understandable, relatable perspective. But so focus groups, so yeah, focus groups from quality perspective, that, that helps to add a bit more qualitative side to the data instead of quantitative, quantitative side.
2: Uh, I agree completely. I think uh, focus group is a great idea. Uh, one more thing you could do is once you had uh, the chat with the focus group and you have an approximate idea of how you want to present your data or your wine, but aren't completely sure Should I present it as a sweet one or a fruity one or a fresh tasting one? Uh, Then you could uh, do A-B tests so that you have like 100 users uh, where you randomly uh, split them into two groups. 50 users get uh, one description, 50 get the other. And then you just measure how many of those uh, people clicked on the link or how many bought the wine. And then you try to decide which description works best. And then, of course, if you have presented a lot of different wines uh, in different ways and have a lot of data from previous A-B tests, then uh, you can even guess that, okay, based on previous data, like based on uh, 20 different wines, the 21st wine uh, may probably benefit most from uh, this and that description. Because then you start to see trends and that's where uh, small data transforms into big data,
1: sort of.
3: That's a very good suggestion.
1: Thank you, guys. I think that's a, it's a great suggestion. And I mean, my problem generally is that I am a wine professional. So even if I can confirm the facts, I I am very technical in the wine data, but for the people I present it for, not always. But the third issue we have also is that our, our app or the business system and app we have is built both for restaurants, wine merchants, wine producers, and consumers. So in the end, you have to find a way to explain it to everybody, right? But I think it's a great, like you say, if you create focused groups or, or AB or, or whatever you wish to call it, you can also mix the different ones in each group, right? To get a accurate reading.
0: Fantastic, it's a great way to start the podcast. Um, so we'll move on to Mark's question next, please.
2: Yes, and I think uh, Per's final comments was a great transition to my question, because that's sort of exactly what uh, I wonder about. So how can you, combine and use different sources of data or different types of data to follow through the entire customer journey process and uh, this question stems from a previous uh, workplace uh, where I did a project i mean uh, it was a major project where we sort of mapped out the customer journey landscape for the whole company and uh, my sub project was to uh, investigate how we can use different data sources to support different stages of this uh, of this uh, process. So, for instance, when it comes to awareness, how can we measure awareness or how can we uh, do something actively to raise awareness? So how can we support uh, those efforts with data? And then we went through the entire customer general landscape, and uh, I think it was a real eye opener because uh, so far I had only been working with a business intelligence platform or the data platform. Uh, But then I became aware of a lot of different data sources, including A-B tests, including focus groups. Uh, So that's sort of something I would like to uh, uh, pick your your brains, guys. Uh, How do you think about this? What kind of data sources do you know of? And how do you think they could be used and combined uh, in some uh, creative ways throughout the process?
3: Okay, I I will jump in then. Um, I'm really, uh, I, I really like this question uh, because it's somewhat close, uh, cl- close to my heart. I like to think from the end to the beginning all the time, and here it basically touches from the acquiring the customers, how they kind of create awareness, desire for the brand, how they start thinking and goes into consideration, then sales, then uh, the, the living the brand, let's say using it, and then finally turning. Um, So that's very, very good topic to talk about. Um, And then thinking about the data sources. So. course depends on the industry the business and so on but for awareness let's say at least in my kind of when I worked in a couple of places there is brand tracking usually there are a couple of brand trackers depending on the country sometimes in UK there was government brand next. so let's say they had like loads of different brands where they have continuous service just asking people about different brands what what, do they like it do they consider do they know about it and so on so then even if you are relatively new and just start start thinking about this you already have quite long history about it. I'm not sure how it's in in Sweden or I know that in Lithuania I'm not sure actually if we have like continuous studies so you you may probably want to as a a brand you want to start collecting this type of data. Uh, So the surveys so this is more for awareness consideration and things like that. Uh, then it depends um, for awareness, consideration, Google Trends, I'm not sure if you know things like that, that's quite useful. So the keyword search and things like that, that also helps to understand the, let's say, if certain keywords are going up. So that already indicates brand uh, brand consideration, uh, a lot of things on the website that is search, search related. That also helps. Uh, YouTube, coming back again, keywords, all good things. So if people are interested in that particular topic or area, kind of to understand it. So all related to browsing um then moving to more consideration stage so that and consideration depends on the core company and type of the business if it's more digital so then website probably app how many people just coming in into kind of and trying to understand uh, yeah to understand traffic into either website store for example footfall if that's more physical type of place if there is anything or maybe showrooms depending again uh if there is any traffic in this one uh, then once we are the customer uh thinking, of course, there are sales all kind of things with links to, to actual transactions somewhat. So digital it's easier, online, offline, um, offline side retail again, it, ch- it should be probably something but what, what captures transaction. Uh what else was mentioned? Ah, the other interesting thing at the end of it. So of course uh, for example net promoter score or something which shows if you are, if you have a way to or have customers a way to leave comments, for example. So to extract something like themes uh, or sentiments from that and again, understand what people feel or think about certain topics. So that helps understand how people are likely to promote recommend. Let's say your brand or topic. Um, and then you mentioned something about the, how to. Uh, use different media to promote or something like this Or understand what is causing different stages or what is causing people to like uh, your brand at different uh, different stages either to be aware kind of or to be uh, or then move into consideration side and so on so different media time did I understand this correctly or maybe can you remind yeah uh,
2: I was meaning all kinds of data uh, so it's not just brand awareness or how much people mm-hmm. like the brand uh, but more like uh, a complete solution. So it could include sales tracking, either by means yeah. of a data platform or something else. And of course, uh, through to the point of churn. okay So, really from end to end when it comes to the customer journey.
3: Yeah. So, I think from ISO, yeah, churn, that, that's a co- also a good call to understand. Define churn, what it means churn for your business. For some businesses, it's easier uh for some it's more difficult to kind of design uh is if, if that's subscription so maybe unsubscribing that's a churn. if that's more like retail type or, or wine shopping so one customer churned. when you can say is it an active or half a year a year did they already churn are they just kind of on pause uh so that's also good good way to kind of understand this um i think i mentioned most of the things which comes to my mind for different uh steps within the customer and of course website so that it's a journey by itself once customized. in the app in the website kind of start putting trackers in different places just to understand where they are kind of struggling to go where they find difficult to move to the next stage uh, and, and buy something yeah
1: I'll take the chance to jump in a bit there some quite interesting insights and I think uh, for, for my situation as I said my background is not so much from data so I might have more specific examples how we do it where I work today but I mean our thoughts a lot to collect uh, different streams of, of information and data is to kind of connect the whole universe of everybody works with the product that we collect data about so we try to get the producers of the wine involved as well as the merchant selling the wine and the restaurant buying it and the consumer in the end so in the, in that way we try to you know get facts from from about the product from the producer we might get more emotional insights from the consumers and we might get more business or trade insights from the merchants and the restaurants and so on and of course everybody can benefit from the different data to each other and and that's the kind of idea to create a you know kind of a circle where where all the data goes around and helps each other to to kind of better your knowledge and, and your sales and of course in the future you can build products based on this uh, you know where you create reports where to a producer where your wines are being sold in this Michelin restaurants in the world or or so to say and uh, then, of course, to if we came a little bit into brand awareness, even the, if that maybe wasn't the key, but something that is important for me and how we work. And, of course, to, to be credible in what we do, we also uh, put a lot of effort into sponsoring sommelier events or Green Wine Future and these kind of things to also make people have um, a good belief in our data when they start using the app, so to speak.
2: Uh, Thank you very much both for your insights. Uh, I think they were uh, really interesting and deep. And also uh, you highlighted a very important difference between uh, your kind of B2B uh, organization pad and your B2C organization, Justina, Because when it comes to B2B, then you have a finite number of partners. So it actually works to talk to them one by one and use more uh, deeper and more qualitative methods uh, to obtain data and feedback. Whereas when it comes to B2C organization where you have perhaps millions or tens of millions consumers, then it's not possible to talk to them one by one. So that's where uh, you have to use more data and more models to predict who will be retained or, or which cons- consumer segments are easiest to retain and which ones are likely to churn. And yeah, I personally think that B2B is more humane because uh, it still has a connection and you still treat your partners as individuals, whereas when it comes to millions of consumers, it's impossible to treat them as individuals, unless it's, uh, it's some sort of uh, website customization. But not even that is really personal, so even that comes down to uh, archetypes and personas and numbers and different models. So I think that's a huge difference between the two, and I'm very happy and thankful for your replies that we get an insight into both
0: fantastic cheers guys and so last but not least we'll come to your question justina
3: yeah so my question was about um, how would you group um, different data use cases thinking about the um, company data maturity so what you would start uh, at the beginning when you kind of just uh, within the early stages of the data analytics data science and what you where would you move later on in the middle and what are the top let's say uh, top use cases which you should start considering once you have certain things in place because they allow you to kind of move forward uh, more meaningful so really looking forward to hear your, your thoughts within the space uh,
2: I think I can jump in so uh when an organization starts to collect data and they don't have data maturity then i think they can uh, focus most on descriptive analytics analytics uh, which is just describing what is happening in the business here and now or what happened like a week ago so collect just the facts and without changing much of it uh just try to describe what happened Of course, this requires a high quality of data because if we have uh, bad data from the source or it is transformed in a bad in a bad way, then uh, you won't have a good comprehensive data set and then you won't be able to describe what's happening in your organization correctly. But once you're able to do that, then you will at least have some basic business intelligence uh, reporting and then. and then you can move to the next stage, which is uh, diagnostic ana- uh, analytics, uh, which is more like the data science. So, uh, justinas area. Uh, that's where you have enough data and enough history, and also enough insight and competence within your uh, data uh, department that you actually can dive deeper and understand why something is happening. So, uh, just a simple example. Uh, you may see that. certain product where you thought the online sales would be very good and uh, retail sales wouldn't be that good. It turns out that the online sales uh, after half a year still account for just 30% of all the sales Uh, they're not really increasing whereas uh, retail sales are increasing slowly and they account for 70% of your uh, sales. And Of course, that's the descriptive analytics so far, but diagnostic, then you perhaps uh, start to dig deeper. Uh, You look into some Google Analytics data, and it turns out that. uh, Trying to uh, go uh, trying to move forward with the purchase online uh, instead of the usual 5 to 10 seconds, a transaction takes uh, three minutes on average, and then it turns out Mm -hmm. that uh, 90% of the consumers uh, just lose their temper and uh, close the site. And then. Somebody can talk to uh, the front-end team, and then it may turn out that, yeah, there is some uh, faulty code line uh, which causes a loop in this specific transaction. And uh, once it's, uh, yeah, once it's repaired, then uh, online sales will soar. So that's what you can do with diagnostic analytics. Uh, then, as a next stage, uh, you could build uh, uh, predictive analytics. Where you build models based on uh, based on past data, so you have you need to have a lot of data and a lot of history to be able to extrapolate what might happen in the future. So, for instance, you had you just had a new product release, and uh, beforehand you had five different product releases uh, that could be similar to this one. So, based on how those things went, uh, you could try to build some model or uh, or report to predict what might happen now. And then you can tweak it even further uh, to use predictive analytics, whereas you build models uh, that can model different scenarios, like four or five different scenarios. So let's say if I do mostly offline marketing, what could happen then? If I do mostly online marketing, what could happen then? Uh, If I do mostly uh, affiliate marketing, what could happen then? And that would help you uh, steer your product uh, along the right course. And i also have some notes about cognitive analytics but i think it's mostly science fiction so far so uh yeah let's leave it at
1: that
3: sounds very interesting thank you
1: yeah i agree and i think in in my situation it's it's um it's very important to not limit yourself in the beginning when you start collecting your data or when you build up your database you focus on getting as much and as correct information as possible and you will later find ways to use it and to analyze it because i think if if you from the beginning have two clear goals exactly what it is you want to achieve you also limit yourself you know and the the use you can have from the data that you collect and and this is at least something what what i have learned from the from the year i've been working with this you know that the more correct data we can collect the more opportunities to to make business we have so, so I think it's very important to to not be too fixed in from the beginning exactly what you're going to use your data for, but to have an open mind and more focus on on the quality of your data, and the the rest will come. Thank you. Uh, good
3: point.
2: Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think uh, also that's a good point. Although one minor counterpoint is that uh, once you have, so as long as you have a young organization with relatively little data, it's not a problem. Uh, But once you start producing more data or you're in an industry where uh, a lot of data is produced by design, then you also have to think about what use this data might have. Because uh, if you just uh, dump everything, but really everything you have into your data lake, then the costs can uh, skyrocket pretty fast. So you also have to be able to sift through the data and decide what could be kept and what definitely shouldn't be kept.
3: Uh, Organized by... Uh, what is going to be used? What value it will be at? Who will be using? What problems? Yeah. I think that uh, when my company, yeah, I will get, people will get sick of me a little bit, because every time when we start solving it, uh, every problem basically is that, where are you going to be using it? Why do you need it? What problem you are solving? Who is going to be the end user? And all kind of over and over again. Thank you, this is interesting. It kind of resonates to what I also I was thinking in the space and kind of um, I'm thinking a bit, uh, at, especially at the beginning, there is a lot of boring data science what it means it's less about the machine learning or the neural networks or deep learning and so on it's all about basically very boring things how you put data correctly in the place how you check it how you kind of organize it and then how it flows to different stages so who are using it how you visualize it and then you kind of start moving in a bit more uh, you kind of move from there into a bit more elaborate use cases and trying to, to add addition, something additional on top of it. So, yes, at, at the beginning, it's a lot of boring, boring stuff which needs to be done. And then you can start thinking about the fun and exciting uh, yeah, models to do.
1: No, exactly. Like you say, if, if you start yeah. organizing everything very correctly from the beginning, then you can also have bigger use of the information later.
3: Yeah, that's true. Yes.
2: I also agree that the foundations, yeah, the foundations can be very boring, I agree, uh, but they're also necessary, so it's the same thing as uh, when somebody learns to dance. I mean, there are a lot of interesting figures uh, one could do, but as long as one doesn't have uh, the basic grasp of uh, the, uh, so the foundational steps and the hip movement and so on, it's not going to work.
3: Exactly, I just started learning uh, solo jazz. Uh, this week, and basically, mm. I tried a bit more advanced class, and I was looking, mm, I don't know something here, <laughs> it's too mm. difficult. And then I went to the beginner's class where they start counting the beats basically, completely basics. And then I can, okay, I can't start here. And then I moved to to more advanced one. Uh, um, I
2: feel that I feel the same way even after one year, and uh. Yeah, it's the same thing with data, especially with a bigger organization or a not so mature organization. It can take really long time before all the basics. So like data quality, data governance, uh, data security and everything are in place. And then can the fun start?
3: And here, I think my second question quite nicely jumps in. Uh, So the challenge which I have actually balancing these two things. Um, So boring data science, getting basics in place, because we talked here that you need certain things to be able to move forward. So And some things, some of them take longer, especially if the company is relatively early in this journey. So building, I don't know, proper data warehouse may take you two, three years and so on. And there are some other things also, which takes time. So that's one side. So the boring stuff which needs to be done, and some of it takes time, takes time and money and resources and so on. And on the other hand, you have business which you need to run it. Uh, so you may have your stakeholders, you may have, I don't know, um, investors or whatever it is who cares about the revenue. So the the, the, the actual business which drives money that it will move forward and do some, and it would go up basically from one way and the other. And here we also want to support the decision making, the solving their problems and those problems. And usually they need answers very quickly. when and uh, sometimes within a day, maybe a week, a month, and like we can't wait until we get basics right. So how do you balance between those two almost speeds? So one car is moving very fast and probably business goes to different directions and you need to switch your focus almost all all the time from one to the other side and from data perspective you want to have a bit slower pace where you build your basics you have certain platforms infrastructure in place you start collecting certain things so how do you balance these two these two parts that's my struggle (laughs) how do you solve it who who know who who can share their kind of um, experiences in the space ideas
2: uh, we had some, uh, some issues like that at my previous workplace, and what we did then was uh, sort of uh, taking a look at how fast it's needed and also how recurring the need is, because if it's a one off, then it's probably easiest to just get a data, data scientist dig into the data lake and do some ad hoc analysis. But if it's a recurring question, uh, so for instance, we know that we will need this uh, KPI at the end of each quarter. Then it's probably worth investing in uh, a robust solution like an ELT or ETL data warehouse solution for uh, that kind of application. And then we have to build it. And in the meantime, uh, data scientists can continue to serve the business. Because getting the data into the data lake is pretty fast, so that could be uh, an intermediate layer. Uh, of course, uh, problems may arise if the data that we try to access doesn't even exist, or perhaps it exists, but it's not logged in the data pipeline, because then it adds even more complexity and even more le- even longer lead times. Uh, then it could also be possible to uh, get the data directly from the producing system. Uh, I don't know how it is uh, at your company, Stina, but <laughs> I mean, in most cases, the producing systems are uh, not built to uh, use for reporting. So, their data is usually of not very high quality, or even, even if it's high quality, it's not very accessible. So, in Same. such cases, um, I suppose the best way is to inform the business that it will take some time and then move as fast as possible. And, of course, prioritizing all the business needs against each other, as usual
1: yeah I think this sorry to interrupt I think this is something i'm I'm used to every day in in a, in a way because we we are um, a startup well we've been doing going for three years uh, a little bit more but um it's always people want data very quick, right especially when you're a startup because you want to present something you need new investments and so on. So, so I think, I mean, for, for me, uh, since I have a little bit, bit semi-role of data and, and wine expert at the same time, right, I have to kind of divide my time and, and also my way of presenting what I do in a day or so to speak. So if I usually get demands of, of getting this information quick, but what I also have to inform is I can get this, but it will also be on the cost of this. If, if I you know if I don't continue to do this in an accurate manner and let it take the time, then we will also risk to lose information and to have bad information. And essentially I leave it up to the person who requests the data to decide, which is the best. Usually no one wants to be responsible for bad data, so to speak. But then of course, you, you can have your tricks and, and so on as well, right? Like you can make quick uh, quick assumptions, uh, when, when you feel like that is what is needed to present something uh, but in in the end i will always go back and kind of do it the slow way as well you know so what i present and what i do is all, not always the same thing it
3: makes, my, it makes uh it makes sense and i think that quite nicely links to mark's comment about uh, how recurring the data is how recurring problem is so you might present it once and then if that's it that's done. And if you know that you will need to present it uh, with the other quarter or the other months, you might rethink or review the uh, the code or whatever it is to make sure that it's robust and so on. Good.
2: Uh, yes, and I think uh, you also touched upon something uh, very important, pair, and that's uh, that was a lesson which I learned in the very early days of my first PO role. Uh, when I already could prioritize between different business needs, but my communication was not so good yet. And I I often said no to stakeholders when I felt that uh, their needs were not that important, or perhaps they were important, but not as important as some other needs. Uh, From that perspective, that maybe we had a silver tape solution that worked so-so, and it was not worth developing a more robust solution. And then uh, a very experienced engineering manager told me, but Mark, you shouldn't say no. You should say, okay, yes, we can do that. This is the list of our priorities. What should we uh, take out? And then the person will see, mm, yeah, this is a legal requirement. Uh, this is a business critical requirement. This is another legal requirement. Oh, forget it. So that's that's a practical trick uh, you POs out there could use. Definitely. <laughs> you have a, another question, Justine? Or? I think that
3: that was it from my side.
0: Fantastic. Well, we will leave it there today then. So this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Per, Mark and Justina for providing their insights and views on how to use data and insights to deliver business value. Uh, And thanks to everyone for listening. See you next time.